tomorrow right back. That's quite a drive. We're in Job chapter 12 tonight, Job chapter 12, and uh, we are looking, we've looked at the speech of each person and Job's response to each person. Now this is the first time I'm going to take more than one week to cover a single response, only because the response covers three chapters. So we're going to take two weeks to do three chapters. I'm really forcing myself to go through at least a chapter a night or we'd be in Job till the millennium. So we don't want to, we do want to uh, work through it, just kind of hit the high points. But the first round of debates between Job and his friends uh, concludes with this response to Zophar. Now, last week we looked at Zophar, what he brought uh, against Job. He was pretty harsh in the things that he said. Uh, he, along with several of his other friends, have already, or at least one of them, has already said that not only did Job, all three of them said Job got what he deserved, and then two of them, including Zophar, said Job's children got what they deserved. Now, how would you like that if all of your children perished and then you had a friend show up and say, yeah, your children probably got what was coming to them, uh, and they were supposed to be comforters. So we've seen that that has not been the case. They're comforting. And so Job, he did admit he was a sinner, as all men are, but he did not admit that it was some great sin that brought his trouble on. And we know that's true because we saw behind the scenes and we know that Job went through all this trouble because of his righteousness, not his sin. He was a, it was to, for Job, basically a, it's a terrible way to put it. I don't want to put a bet between God and Satan, but a challenge that Satan had put to the Lord, and the Lord offered up Job here as an example. But let's read Job chapter 12 and start verse 1. I won't read all the verses now, but we'll work through them as we go. Job answered and said, No doubt that ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth such things as the, who knoweth not such things as these? I am as one mocked of his neighbor, who calleth upon God, and he answereth him, The just upright man is laughed to scorn. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. The tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Who knoweth not all these things, all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? Doth not the ear try words, and the mouth taste his meat? And that's where we'll stop now. And then we'll go through some of the other verses as we go through. But let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word and uh, be with us this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would use it. Try to do our best to apply the principles we pray in Jesus. Looking first at the situation of Job. Job uh, is talking about his situation. He starts in verses 1 and 2 here. And he answered, No doubt that ye are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. This is the language of severe sarcasm. I mean, Job was, and you can't blame him. I like, I saw this statement. This is kind of what Job's probably saying. If you have an opinion of my life, raise your hand and put it over your mouth. That's about what Job's saying here in his sarcastic statement. Now, I am not a fan of sarcasm when it's done to me. Uh, it's, it's not so bad when I do it to others. Then it's fun sometimes. But uh, in all seriousness, sarcasm is not the way I think we ought to practice. Uh, it's, it's not a nice way to go about it. It's often <coughs> kind of rude. But sometimes the best rebuke is a sarcastic statement. And Job certainly makes one here. Uh, Surely wisdom shall die with you. You guys are so smart that when you die, no one will know anything anymore. This is how they come across. They had been so arrogant. And so Job's kind of calling them out on it. 
he talks about this, not only the sarcasm we see here, but the scholarliness in the situation. But he says in verse 3, But I have understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth not these such things as these? Joe implies that their knowledge is not all that they thought it to be. Their knowledge is not superior. He says, I'm not inferior to you. These friends had not added to Job's knowledge one bit. They hadn't really, uh, if Job's needs uh, were a bank account, they hadn't made any deposits. They had not been a help to him. Uh, they acted like they were educating Job, like they were so superior to him and talking down their noses and dripping with all this pontification. Uh, Job's comments about God did bring some of that on. We've already talked about this at length. But they did not hesitate to show in their words and in their expressions their vast superiority to Job. All they did is make Job's pain worse. All they did is to grieve him even more. Uh, so it's evident that they were terrible at comforting the afflicted. And Job addresses this problem again in verse number 3. Now, their knowledge also is not singular. Yea, who knoweth not such things as these? Job really hits him with that. Job says, anybody knows the things you're talking about. Anybody with a brain, a Sunday school student knows the things you're talking about. Any Christian, anybody who believes in God, they realize these things. And so it kind of humiliates them, and, and, uh, or it act, at least it should, that the Proverbs and the principles that they were spouting, they weren't new. Everybody knows these things, and they had no reason to act with such superiority and arrogance. Then look at uh, next, uh, we don't only see the sarcasm, the scholarliness of the situation, but the scorning. He said in verse 4, I am as one mocked of his neighbor who calleth upon God, and he answereth him, and the just upright is laughed to scorn. Job speaks of who's doing the mocking and who is the one being mocked. Obviously, I am mocked of his neighbor, so they he's referring to his friends there. Uh, they were being He was being mocked by the ones that called themselves the, his friends. Now, it's one thing to be mocked by people you don't know. It's a whole different thing entirely to get, be mocked by, or, or attacked, you could say, by people you know or people that you assume are your friends. And if we're in the church long enough, if we serve God long enough, sooner or later, you'll be mocked by those close to you. And when I say mocked, well, you be attacked or gossiped about, or whatever you want to use, the word mocked would be a, a big umbrella here. But uh, we know this hurts a lot more than if a stranger does. If a friend does it, it hurts a lot worse. And one would think, that your friends and your family would be the most loyal. Who should be more loyal to one another than the church family? The Bible says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another. We, we should, more than anyone, we should gather together and support each other in love. People you love, though, will often hurt you more than those you do not know. And the worst enemies are uh, often in, in the church are often those that pose as fellow Christians, fellow laborers, and uh, they can cause a lot more trouble inside the church than those can from outside the church. In fact, they, they, this is usually how churches are hurt. Churches that split don't do so because of outside attacks. Churches that split do so because of people on the inside attacking one another. And so dissenters within the church do the more, much more damage than any kind of attacks outside the church. I was, we, we saw during the uh, scandemic, the, uh, the churches in California, when you had... Uh, I know that Pastor Treber's church, Pastor Chapel's church, uh, John MacArthur's church were under much attack. And what you saw with that was a, a real convalescing and a joining together of the church family. It made the church stronger. They got, I, I know Treber, for instance, 
tens of thousands of dollars, maybe hundreds, I don't know how much it was altogether, uh, of fines that they had to undertake. Much attack from the outside, it didn't hurt the church a bit. In fact, it probably got strong. You have the attacks from the inside, it can cause much. So he said, I'm attacked of my friends, I'm mocked of my friends. Then look at who is being mocked. The just, upright man is mocked, to, or is laughed to scorn. He wants his three friends to know that the scorning is unjust. He does not deserve it. He prays to God, and God answereth him, he said. And then he said he's an upright man. And so to mock him is to mock the righteous, which is exactly what they were doing. By the way, God agrees with this assessment of Job later in Job chapter 42, uh, verse 7. Um, we'll get to that sometime in the middle of 2020. Uh, but anyway, uh, we'll, you'll remember, I'm sure, that <laughs> we discussed this at that time. Uh, look at the sympathy. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. Now, that's a. have you heard that on any sitcoms lately, that little mantra? It's not a common phrase we would use. But uh, this is basically saying that people who are at ease are seldom good at expressing sympathy to those in need. Rather, they despise them. People that are at ease often find it easier to criticize or despise those in need rather than to help them. And this, this is a perfect picture of Job's friends. They were at ease. They were not afflicted. And they, they showed no sympathy for Job, but rather they despised him. They were critical of him. And uh, Job's friends are still around today, people like his friends, who are well off and look down on those that are in need. Now, I don't know if you've ever went through a serious affliction in your Christian life your spiritual life, but I can tell you this statement I have, and uh, this is such a true statement. Affliction will reveal who your true friends are. You ever been there and realized that? Because when you are really going through something in your life, your real friends will show themselves, and your fair-weather friends will also show themselves. It shows who they really are. When you're famous, you have influence, when you have wealth, when you have uh, the world by the tail, friends are everywhere. But when your light goes out and when tra tragedy hits or you're going through a real hard time, uh, often people will reject or even be hostile to you. That's how it is in following Jesus Christ. People that follow Christ or uh, follow him in sunny weather and as soon as life gets hard, they turn on him. Well, he's, he's you know, so let's not think we're, we are uh, unique. Jesus gets the same treatment. It's the, I heard this phrase once, two good things that, to lose are some weight and fair weather friends. Both of those things are good to um, The scandal in the situation, the tabernacle of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. This is the issue that so bothers Job, and he constantly is coming at it from different angles. They insist that his calamities came because he was a wicked man. He did something to deserve what happened to him. And so he responds here that the wicked prosper all the time. And God blesses the wicked abundantly sometimes. A person's affliction does not prove he is evil, nor does a person's affluence prove that he is righteous. You can't look at who is blessed and then say he must be spiritual. Other, other than that, we would think that Jeff Bezos is the most spiritual man in the world right now, and I don't think he is. Uh, and, and so we understand that this, Jesus said in Luke twelve fifteen, a man's life consisteth not in the things which he possesseth, so that doesn't make up who you are. But these friends had not learned the lesson yet that sometimes the righteous suffer. We don't know why. Job didn't know why. Of course, we know why Job suffered because we saw behind the curtain. We saw behind the scene that God and Satan had this discussion. 
And we know that Job suffered because of his righteousness, and God was use him as an example. And did he ever uh, come out as a trophy of grace? All right, I'm going as fast as I can here. It's the schooling in the situation. Job does some teaching here. He schools them about the sovereignty of God. Job's friend have spoken so much about how God acts and the attributes of God and who he is. So Job lays out some of his own God knowledge. Uh, the betrayal here of the knowledge of God in verses 7 and 8. Ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Animals teach us by their actions that God rules the world. Uh, he's just saying, look around, and can you ever? I mean, today we have the benefit of uh, David At Dave Attenborough and uh, narrating nature shows. I don't know if you've heard his, might, you'd know it if you heard it. <laughs> he does all these nature shows. And, man, you, you see those in the beauty of our world and the natural. It's, it's incredible. And that shows the, the, shows the knowledge of God. By the way, Romans talks about that, that we have the, the world to show us the things of God. And then the possession of this knowledge of God, Zophar had indicated that this knowledge of God was above the reach of anyone. Chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. It's true that God is so great we'll never completely understand him, but Job clarifies a few things here. First, he says in verse 9, the measure thereof, oh, never mind, 12 verse 9, who knoweth not all these things that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this. So he's saying that the views Zophar expressed, they're commonly understood, Zophar. You're no college professor. The things you said, people understand this. I, I get that. We already know this. Secondly, that not only do all possess the knowledge, but the ancients possess it as well. Verse 12, with the ancients is wisdom and the, in length of days understanding. The assumption in Job's time was that the aged are acquainted with the basic facts of God. And, of course, they were in these things as well. Zophar and company are not unique in their knowledge. of. Now, I want to go down to uh, skip ahead just a little bit uh, to the... Well, let me mention one thing. Uh, verse 11, does not the ear try words and the mouth taste his meat? Uh, this says that the knowledge of God can be learned by anyone. The, the ear can hear, the mouth can taste. He, they're not the only ones who can learn about God. Job's problem is not of ignorance or inability to understand these things about God. Job's problem was really what well, all of us struggle with. We're creatures of emotion. Job had a broken heart. He had just lost all his kids. He had just lost his everything. Everything that he ever worked for in life, he was down to nothing. And now he's got boils all over his body. Yeah, he complains a little bit. Probably not a good thing, but he's he has emotions like all of us do. And so he's trying to bring home the fact that because I am really going through a hard time does not mean I'm discounting God. In all his days, Job cursed not God. And so uh, this is something we need to understand when people are suffering. Sometimes uh, they're not speaking their convictions, they're speaking their emotions. You know, this happens when we are suffering in a bad way. All right, uh, moving on from the situation of Job to the sovereign of Job. He then talks about, uh, expands his talk about God in verse number 13 here. Uh, two things make God's power excellent. The uh, With him is wisdom and strength, he says. He hath counsel and understanding. God's power is supreme. It is above all others. He is sovereign. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say unto him, What dost thou? Man thinks he is so powerful. And we... We, so so much so that many people in high positions and and uh, the uh, the big honored people in our world today in the science community they scoff at God or the idea of a God. In fact, one of them wrote a book 
the God Delusion. I don't recommend you read it. I've read some excerpts out of it. Uh, but it's about how ridiculous it is to believe in God. And so we get all this power. We think that we uh, have some power and uh, realize that we have nothing compared to God. With absolute power, uh, corrupts absolutely. Adolf Hitler is an example of this, and we could point to many others. But God's power always exists with a perspective. Look what it says in verse 15, uh, 13 again. With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counseling. He has counsel and understanding. So along with his power and how great he is, he has wisdom and understanding. Hitler did not. He had power, but he didn't have wisdom and understanding. But God's power always is exercised along with his wisdom. That's something we can be grateful for. Now, I want to close with, let's see, I think 11.12.5 minutes. You ready to go? Listen fast. Okay, If you're writing, write fast. The examples of God's power. God's power over construction, verse 14. He breaketh down and it cannot be built up again. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, that was the end of those cities. Babylon, Pompeii, and a host of other cities have been destroyed uh, by God's power, constructed by man's power, destroyed by God's power. God has power over construction. God has power over the captive, verse 14. He shutteth up a man and there can be no opening. When God puts a man in hell, for example, there is no escaping ever. Uh, when God can bind a man easily and no one can release him. This should inspire fear for God in mankind. In fact, Jesus said so in Matthew 10, 28, Fear not him which can kill the body, and not, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the body and soul in hell. So God's power over the captive. And then we see God's power over the creation. Verse 15, He withholdeth the waters and they dry up. Also he sendeth them out and they overturn the earth. The power of God's creation is seen both ways here by dividing, that's the dry up. We see that in the Red Sea. and We see that in the Jordan River when the Israelites crossed. Also, the flood in Noah's day illustrates the overwhelming power, overturn, the word is overturn here, with the water that God uh, possesses over nature there. So this is, a, <laughs> this is still something that you'd think people would see today with all of our invention, with all of our ability. We can't make it rain. We can need rain, but we can't make it rain. Uh, we can't stop the rain when it comes. We can't really control the weather. We can warn. We've got all kinds of sophisticated equipment to tell people to get out of Dodge when there's a hurricane coming, but we can't stop the hurricane. God's Number four, God's power over the crafty. Verse 16, the deceived and the deceiver are his. Men can become crafty. They think maybe that they can trick God. But only a fool thinks that way. God will never be fooled by the deceitful. He sees the heart. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. And then number five, God's power over the counselors. Verse 17, he leadeth counselors away spoiled. Uh, the best laid plans of man can be overturned and defeated in a moment by God. Now, I have never quoted this man, and I probably never will quote him again. But Woody Allen says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I kind of think that's a thought, because we do make plans, don't we? And I wonder sometimes if God does smile a little bit at all of our plans. Psalm 2, 2, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Biblical. So we make the plans, we make all these counsels, we got all this set, and God's laughing in heaven because we think we've got it all. Number six, God's power over the courts. Verse 17, 
uh, goes on to say, after he leadeth the counsels away spoiled, and maketh the judges fool. Courts can become very arrogant in their decisions. Our land is full of this problem. Courts rule out the Bible, uh, take it out of schools and governments. They do so with supposed judicial wisdom. They're making fools of themselves, as is seen if you just look at history with an open mind. Uh, you didn't have a plethora of school shootings when they had Bible and the Pledge of Allegiance classroom. You remove all that, and the devil can uh, have free reign. God's power over the crowns, number seven. 18 and 19, look at those verses. He, he looseth the bond of kings and girdeth their loins with the girdle. He leadeth princes away spoiled and overthroweth the mighty. God controls all rulers. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Rulers sometimes think they are all powerful. They, they uh, don't realize that God can bring them down or use them for his purposes. It's good for us to remember that in this day. Okay, we're living in a time of real serious government overreach. You watch in Canada what's going on right there right now. And basically, I think you're, you're watching our future if we don't do something in our nation. Uh, there's some real uh, bad things happening. But God is in control. History is rife with examples of God using people that think they're all that, and he's using them to accomplish his purpose. God's power, number eight, over the clergy. Uh, verse 19, he leadeth princes away spoiled. Now, the reason I use clergy here is this word translated princes. Excuse me. The original word is in the Old Testament 781 times, and 725 times it's translated priests. And that's what the word means, priests. This is the only time it's translated princes. This speaks of the false religious leaders who gain influence, leading people astray. They are no match to a sovereign God who can bring down these apostates quickly, and has many times. Uh, the word spoiled here speaks of the great treasures that sometimes they'll build up. I think of Tim and, Tam, no, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, great paragons of spiritual leadership we had a few years ago. Uh, you know, had a great fortune they built up. Well, God took them down. He has the final say. Number nine, God's power over the centuries. Verse 20, he removeth away the speech of the trusty and taketh away the understanding of the aged. The wisdom of the aged is no match to the wisdom of God. You might be considered a wise man and win all kinds of awards in your time. You will not outlast God. The French atheist Voltaire lived uh, in the 1800s. And he made this statement. Christianity will be non-existent 100 years after my death. 100 years after his death, the European Bible Society bought the house that he had lived in when he made that statement. They turned it into the continent's largest printing press for Bibles. So 100 years after Voltaire's died, not only was Christianity not extinct, they're printing Bibles in his house. I love that. You, that, you say the Lord doesn't laugh. Those are some times I think he's a chuckle. All right, let's review here. God's power over construction, the captive, creation, the crafty, the counselors, the courts, the crowns, the clergy, the centuries. You proud of me yet, Pastor? Okay, good. Now, number 10, God's power over the conquerors. Look at verse number 21. He poureth contempt on princes and weakeneth the, weakeneth the strength of the mighty. The word translated princes here is different than the one we just saw. That means priests. It, it means... Uh, what it says here, princes, noble, prince, tyrant. Uh, the context here uh, suggests more a tyrant because it can mean uh, just a prince that, that can either be a noble one or a tyrant. But God will overthrow the tyrant no matter how strong they are. He sits on the throne 
does not, he is not run by any tyrannical leader. Number 11, God's power over the concealed. Number 22, he discovereth deep things out of the darkness and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. Nothing is hidden from God. Psalm 139, verse 2, thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising, and straight, uh, a, a, uh, and thou understandest my thought afar off. Goes on to say, thou art acquainted with all my ways. God's power over the concealed. We're not going to hide anything from him. Best is just to confess rather than hide. Then number 12, God's power over the countries. Verse number 23, he, dis, let's see, he increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighteneth them again. World history is an absolute history of God's sovereignty. All we have to do is just open our eyes. Men may fight and war, but the final score is controlled by God. You need look no further than this country's na- uh, war for independence, 17 something. You remember. When, yeah, okay, you were just. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we had, when we had the war for independence, you, you read the history about that. We were a ragtag, we had nothing against the most mighty army in the world. There is no way we could have won. We won. God's in control of these things. It's an amazing thing. And we can see a present day. Look at Israel. You ever looked at Israel on a map? They're like this. They're just a little dot on a map. Got, they're hated by the north, people north of them, east of them, west of them, south of them. They're hated by everybody. Wishes them out of there, and they just can't do anything about the Jew. In fact, uh, in their war with, with Islam, the, with Islamic people, uh, I read not too long ago that for every one Israelite that dies, eight Islamic people die. God protects those who, verse 24 and 25, he taketh away the heart of the chief of the people. They grope in the dark without light, the Bible says. Every age has seen uh, rulers of great nations grope in the dark without light. In other words, the philosophies and their actions speak of a fool, even though they have power. I think Joseph Stalin and many others that, uh, who have, whose ideas have been rejected. Remember in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar, God took his mind away because he rejected God in Daniel chapter. Uh, still, God's still doing that today. I think we have a president mostly. Um, Nebuchadnezzar ate grass. Our president wants to legalize grass. I don't know if there's a connection there. but uh, The great rulers of the world become fools in their ruling. And so I didn't quite do it. We got, all right. Uh, let's, we'll continue the, the, the next, finish, finish this response to chapters. Uh, some things for us to understand. God's power, uh, he is in control. This, by the way, let that be a comfort to you. Because if you turn on uh, CNN, Communist News Network, or, or Fox even, or any of those news, you're going you're gonna to be discouraged, and it's going to get you down. It's good to see that God's in control. He is all-powerful, and men can do what they do. And by the way, uh, read the back of the book. We know how it ends. Amen. And so let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this uh, time we've had. Thank you for the things we've seen in your word. You'd help us to continue through this book. Illuminate us with the knowledge you would like to have uh, for us to have about you. And then let us turn that into wisdom, putting it into action. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you.